Hi friends, this is episode 9 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Oh, I'm so thankful that you've joined me for another conversation about the character of God. And I just want to let you know we have a bunch of resources that we want to make sure and connect you with. So make sure you check us out at thebiblelab.com and stay connected. There's also a place so you'll notice the contact uh, menu item. If you click on that and then send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. What are some of the topics that you'd like to hear about? Some of the questions you have about the character of God, and possibly we can include those in some of our future stuff. Now today, as we continue our series, The Message Inside the Miracles, we're going to take a look at a miracle in which it seems like God doesn't care. And we have to ask the question, are there times when God is just tired of our problems? Are there times that he says, look, just take care of it yourself? Or are there times that God does care? He's just distracted. And so today I want you to ask the question, What type of God do we serve during the times that it seems like he's either too tired or disinterested in your life? As big or small of whatever issue you're dealing with, does God really care as much as you do? And so I want you to prepare your heart for a blessing today as we step into the message inside this miracle as we explore what did God mean when he calmed the storm. Welcome to the Bible Lab. This is going to be a good study today, I'll tell you that much. Because where we're going is a story that you've heard over and over and over again. But once again, we're going to look at this story with fresh eyes. And we're going to take a look at what does the Bible say? What's the words that the Bible actually says in the original language to help us understand the very character of God? That's all we do in this, in this community. I almost said class. You guys would have got really mad at me because this is not a class. Is a community, right? And by community, it means that we're going to have a discussion. And in this community, our entire focus is, what does it say about the character of God? And if it's anything less than love, it's what? Heresy. Exactly. God is love, and if anything that we look at is anything less than love, it's heresy. So we're going to take a look at at a story that many of you have heard over and over again. If you were brought up in the faith, you've heard the story, you've seen the felt board sets, you know everything about it, but you still have questions about it. We're going to take a look at a story when Jesus fell asleep. God falls asleep. Are you serious? God falls asleep? God falls asleep sometimes? There are times when God is so exhausted with your problems and has enough sleep deprivation problems of his own that God sleeps. God sleeps sometimes. I just asked the question before. God is concerned with all the little issues in my life, and we were a bit split on that, weren't we? Some of you might have in your mind that there are times when God just needs a break. Do I have any parents in the room here? Parents, especially moms, because you're the ones at work. Us, us guys, we, we, general statement, I know I'm going to hear it from a few of you afterwards. But for the most part, in our society today, our cultural norm, you moms work. 
And us men, we come home, we open up the door, hey, honey, and the next thing we know is the wife is there saying, here, they're your problem now. I just need a break. So if anybody that understands that God needs to sleep sometimes, it's probably all the mothers in the crowd. Can I get an amen? And that did sound like all the women. I didn't really hear many men say, there was the one that the wife nudged him and he said amen. But other than that, I heard just women. Does God fall asleep? The greater question that we have today, as we look at the story of Jesus calming the storm, the greater question that we have to ask today is this. Does God fall asleep during a time of my greatest need? Hmm. So we got to take another look at this story because we've read it one way and we need to take a look at it with fresh eyes today. And so let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And let's take a look at this story of when a storm came and Jesus is asleep and all the subsequent things that happen after it. Would someone be really kind and read for us Mark chapter 4 verses 35 to 38. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? So the question is here. In this story, you can imagine the scene. Jesus is in the back of the boat, head on a cushion, so exhausted. He just had a big day of preaching, okay? He not only preached at the main service, he also preached at the Bible lab. Can I get an amen? Amen. And he has new member potluck coming up. <laughs> and an interview of a pastoral candidate after that. So he was exhausted. And I'm the only one saying amen on that one. <laughs> Have you ever been so exhausted that buckets of water on your face cannot awake you? That's how tired Jesus is. Buckets of water cannot wake him. His disciples run back to Jesus, and they have concern. Professional fishermen have concerns over a storm. It's a big storm. So they run to Jesus, who's sleeping at the back of the boat. Our question begins, does God take a break from our troubles from time to time? What do you think? I don't know. I kind of read it like... Uh... You know, this is Jesus, right? He doesn't worry about anything. Like, that dude could sleep like a baby in a, in a storm. In a hurricane. He could be picked up by like the tornado. Poking him and in the side. Sleep. He just, he sleeps, man. Okay, He's so he good. sleeps. Does that mean that Jesus, when he needs a break, is unconcerned with the true and present dangers in our lives at that time. <laughs> Aaron. Um, my wife and I just 
read this story um, for worship a, a night or two ago, and what I got out of it um, a little bit before we started reading in this class, um, Jesus had spent days teaching people who were just could not get enough of him. And Mark makes it pretty clear that he was about spent. He was at his physical end. Yes. And so he needed to retreat. And I see him sleeping because he had a physical handicap. He could not go any further. Hmm. But what I took away from it was that what was concerning to the disciples and important to them that they were in they were in peril they woke him up and even though he had been completely exhausted as soon as they came to him with a need he was he was immediately 100% focused on what they want and and um willing to make them see that he was going to be there for them beautiful i i, I love it yes right here Okay, the Bible says that uh, Jesus came as a human being. So on that uh, instance, uh, for me, it just supports the fact that, you know, he really was a human when he came to earth. Mm -hmm. And relating to my experience being as a mother, um, a lot of times, which a lot of you mothers relate to this, a lot of times you have short of sleep uh, because you need to do the responsibilities at home. But then after so many days that you have been short of sleep, your body could not just help but to sleep. You, mm. There are things that you need to do, but you have to, your body says you need to sleep. Mm. You, you cannot handle it anymore. It's just like Jesus. Previous mm. days, he, he has been with a lot of people, healing the sick, um, meeting people. But I think at that point, his body, human body, cannot help it any longer. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I appreciate it. It was great. And I hear what Aaron's saying, previous comment. And there's some, there's some discomfort I'm having right now because I'm hearing that even though Jesus was fully God, because he was also fully man, there were things that God could not do that God wanted to do. So we've got to unpack this because this might be something that we've hung on to, this belief, this cognitive dissonance belief right now into what was happening at that moment. Um, I've got a question here, and then we're going to go over there for a comment. This might sound like heresy, but I well, also... Well, yeah, welcome to the class. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, it, could it be possible? I know he was acting in a human form. Those men had sailed on that sea most of their lives, earning a living. Mm -hmm. And if you know about the Sea of Galilee, storms could come up very quickly with the wind that came down in there. Right. So do you suppose that he felt he maybe could rest knowing that his disciples would know how to deal with a storm Amen. since they worked on that lake? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I'm actually going to get to that. We have a saying here, you are a man ahead of your time. Right now you're about 17 minutes ahead of your time. So don't get too cocky, all right? <laughs> but we're going there. That's where we're going. Yes, over here and then we'll come here. I changed my comment to a question because I'm going to join him in saying perhaps the problem is in the question. It's not a matter when one is exhausted whether one cares or not, but maybe it's the exhaustion. And James Cleveland, the gospel great, uh, somewhat like our leader in the community here, um, picks up on this too, and we see it parallel in the story of Jonah. How can you possibly sleep in the bottom of the ship while this storm is raging? His circumstance is different. In this circumstance, I would ask, 
does Jesus not expect, like a parent that has prepared you to deal with it, to deal with it? Because his reply there is in the gospel song where Cleveland picks up, don't you know that the master of earth and sea and wind is with you and cannot perish Yes. while I'm here? Exactly. If you look at Matthew's telling of this story, mind you, Matthew was in the boat, okay? This story, of course, many believe is Peter's dictation to uh, John Mark. In Matthew's version, an eyewitness account of this storm, Matthew uses an interesting term. He uses seismos. Seismos. What does that sound like? Earthquake. Seismography studying the earth trembling. Matthew's version says, and a great earthquake happened. Only two other places does Matthew use seismos. And that's at Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Matthew makes a connection here that there is a great time of trouble, a shaking, a quake, that God would then answer with two more quakes, a quake of repentance and a quake of resurrection. Matthew's version here explains to me why professional fishermen can be absolutely at their wit's end over this storm. Even though storms have come countless times between this eight-mile-wide and 13-mile-long lake, they'd experienced storms. This one is different. This one is much, much different. Yes, back here. I had a comment. Um, I wonder if if the story is uh, a metaphor for what we were talking about, can the devil control the weather? And we, we see the previous story with Jesus preaching and that he was tired. And we say, of course, yeah, we know what it's like to uh, be busy all day and talking and, and how that can be exhausting. But then why didn't Jesus get upset about the storm, which obviously would require a lot of energy too. But I think we miss that the, what Jesus was doing was the real storm confronting the real war uh, for people's souls when he's preaching, and that's truly tiring. But then the other things that we can that are concerning, that are sort of distractions, the devil controlling the weather. Jesus is saying, you know, this is not really the important battle. You know, I'm going to die for you on a cross. This storm is not the same as going to war for souls. Mm. And so, you know, I wonder if that's what also might be going on. That's huge. That's huge. That's that's very very deep. I see some love it cards popping up around. That's awesome. So the question comes to the point, was Jesus unconcerned? Yes or no cards? Was Jesus not concerned? Yes or no? Raise them up high. I know, you got to pull them back out. Yes or no? Jesus was not concerned. I know, it's hard. I said not. So you're like, it's a, it's a double negative, double negative. I don't know. I'll ask it this way. Was Jesus concerned? with their concerns? It's still a hard question, isn't it? That's why it's a beautiful question. And that's why this story needs to be looked at again, because the the question remains, is Jesus concerned over the storms in your life? During the storms that come up in your life, and you feel like you're praying, you're saying, don't you care? Don't you care if I drown? Is Jesus concerned with the issues in your life? 
Some of you, when I said in the yes or no questions uh, that God is concerned with all the little issues in your life, some of you put up no, and I know why you did. And to some degree, I can agree with you. Because there are little things in your life that you're like, eh, that's just, that's kind of me. That's kind of, I created that problem. Why should God be concerned with it? It's minor. It's something little. God has a lot to do. Over 7 billion people on the earth. Why should he deal with my hangnail? Come on. <laughs> so I understand why some of you say, there are things that are on such a minute detail that God is not concerned. But then we have to compare that with text that says, he knows the very number of hairs on your head. I don't know that number. You don't know that. You'd have to be subtracting every day, of course. But some of you have it easier. You're like, one. I've got, I've got Homer hair, okay? One hair. Um, but God says, I'm that concerned with you. I know things you don't even know about the minutia of your life. Raul? There's some similarities with the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, mm-hmm. when uh, Baal's prophets are dancing and shouting. And Elijah tells them, hey, shout louder because your God may be sleeping. Mm-hmm. There was the, the belief in ancient times, including in the Greek world, that the gods would take naps and, and breaks, as you said, breaks throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So these worshipers had to shout louder to bring them back, wake them up. Yes. They didn't. Can you, uh, uh, do, you do you know the uh, literal verbiage of when... Uh, Elijah said... I think it was pretty strong. It was, I would uh, not dare to... <laughs> the polite way to say it is perhaps he's on the toilet. Yes. Is what Elijah said. Uh, but the, yes. And here Jesus is, is, is... Somehow the story compares. There are actually many other similarities and comparisons. But he, uh, 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 Jesus wakes up and he's immediately concerned with the needs of his disciples. Mm-hmm. Where Baal's gods... Uh, I mean, um, Baal is continues to sleep and does not act. Yes. We have a different kind of God. Yes. And, and the marked difference between the pagan gods and the God of the Jews is that the Jews have a God who is concerned and gives them attention. All other religions, the people are concerned and are required to give the God attention. The God is unconcerned and needs to be shaken so that he'll give you a little bit of attention. Exactly. Up here. Toward the back. Um, I'm just thinking that, that Jesus, he had ultimate faith and trust in his Father. Yes. And within that, he was able to rest. Yes. And he was able to sleep. Mm-hmm. And the disciples, boy, we're all still learning. <laughs> and, and as they were in the moment, and as they were in the same situation where God had control... Mm-hmm. they had fear and mm-hmm. they were led to distrust and yes. to go, wait, do you have my back? What? what? <laughs> yeah. And yet he did. Mm-hmm. And yet at that moment, they call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, you know, help. Don't yes. you care? Yeah. And he did. And I mean, there's, there's, that, there's that, you know, it says call on him and he will answer us. Yeah. I mean, even though he knows what's happening in, in the midst of our problems, we can call to him. That's what mm-hmm. he wants us to do. And I mean, there's that whole thing of faith and trust and us growing in that. But I think that there was some of that happening with Jesus. And it doesn't mean then that he doesn't, I mean, he does care when we don't 
trust. Absolutely. <laughs> and when we're calling to him. And yeah. he, he is right there. Yeah. But, Beautiful. I absolutely love that. And you bring up two very strong points. Number one, your strong faith in believing that Jesus could not have drowned on the boat. Do you think Jesus could have drowned that night in that boat? Then if you believe that Jesus could not have drowned and let his disciples drown on that day, why do we think God would let us drown in this day? First point. Second point is when you call Jesus answers. Mike, what are we dealing with in two, in two weeks? People call for Jesus, and he doesn't, and he doesn't answer for four days. Right. What do you do when you call on Jesus, the storm's all around you, and he doesn't answer? I called your name, so you, of course, get the next mic. Go ahead, Mike. I think it's interesting that one of the conversations that we had was that God teaches us where the edge of the cliff is. Mm. He takes us up to the edge of the cliff so that we can confidently go forward in future yeah. with difficult situations because we've been there before. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys want to explore that a little bit more? Then you better be here in two weeks because that's where we're going. But today we need to move on because when you look at the next, the disciples rebuke Jesus. The disciples rebuke Jesus for his apparent lack of concern. They say, don't you care if we drown? The present tense, alometha, means like saying we are in the act of perishing. We're dying. We're dying here. And this admits that all of the disciples are groveling, helpless in the imminent catastrophe where they ask, don't you care? What does this say about the assumption of the disciples? I thought we probably concentrate too much on the sleep. And then I go, turn the thing around. I look at the baby in the, in the grip or when the baby sleeps. Mm -hmm. uh, when you lay the baby to sleep, it sleeps knowing he's in good care, and so he doesn't worry. Hmm. Otherwise, the baby would never sleep. One of so, my babies worried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm uh, in this case, Jesus was resting, and the disciples were just scared. Hmm. They did not have faith in, in hmm. Christ, right. and it's the same with us. Hmm. If we had more faith, we would not be too worried. Mm, or we would, we would search for a solution. Mm. In this case, it was Jesus to wake him up. Hey, yeah. we are drowning. Yeah, uh, But we are often in the same boat, yet we mm. forget to get on our knees and pray mm. and say, Lord, this is a situation. Please yeah. solve yeah. it for me or yeah. help me. And then the things will change in us and the surroundings probably. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing it into the, the real world here. Yeah. I'm going a little in a different direction, maybe. I think we're too tough on the disciples. Ah. These guys are experienced fishermen. They've heard stories after stories about lesser storms killing their colleagues. I will admit that if I was in the boat, I would be just like them and say the same thing. 
you brought us right to the paragraph just before the, the title there, Jesus rebukes twice. You brought us to the point where professional fishermen run and beg a professional carpenter to help them with their sailing problems. <laughs> this says something different about the disciples. I agree. We're being too tough on the disciples. Because if professional fishermen will say, I've come to a place in my experience where even though this is what I do, I've done this more times than I can count. I know how to sail a storm. And when professional fishermen go to a professional carpenter and say, what do we do? It shows a level of faith there. There is a level of faith where they acknowledge you are a professional in a whole other realm. Yeah, I think this has to do with what our paradigm of thought is in terms to what creates our sense of security and our sense of happiness in life. And I know because, I mean, I come from, I, we live in a part of the world where people come and if they don't have internet access or electricity or running water or whatever, they become very anxious. Or even if they see kids in a village that don't have all those things and yet they're happy, that strikes them as very odd. Yeah. So our, the way that we think, you know, from Jesus' perspective, his life, as our sister over there said, was in God's hands. Yeah. And he could sleep soundly in that confidence. But we have these ideas of all the ducks that need to be in a row before we think we are secure or happy. Yeah. And therefore, it makes us anxious. I, I love that. I love that. I'm sorry. we got to move on. Uh, all the cards that are up. I'm so sorry. Don't hate me. Because we have to go to the next section, which is Jesus rebukes twice. He doesn't just rebuke once. According to Mark, he rebukes the wind and the waves first and the disciples second. Deals with the storm, then deals with the disciples. And as we look at Mark chapter 4, verse 39, would someone be willing to read that for us so, so it's really fresh on our memories as we're going through it? Verse 39, Mark chapter 4. Anybody? Thank you. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. We read that in English, and we're like, okay, we can go to sleep now. It just sounds kind of boring. But the words that Jesus used here were just used three chapters earlier in a different story. A story when Jesus is in church, and while Jesus is speaking, a demon-possessed man speaks up, becomes controlled by the evil spirit, says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, son of God. Demon-possessed man, and Jesus calls out the demon, out of the man, right there in church. That would be a fun Bible lab, I'll tell you. <laughs> You're sitting here, all of a sudden, the demon calls, I know who you are. The pastor calls out a demon. The same verbiage that Jesus uses to speak into that moment the words that he uses, which are siopa, be silent, and keep so right along. And follows it up with pephimosa, and put a muzzle on it and keep it on. Very strong words. Words spoken to a demon are the exact same words that Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves. Is that bizarre? It's just three chapters earlier. Peter and Mark know what they're doing. They're telling the story, and they use the exact same words, speaking to a demon. Be silent and keep so all along, and put a muzzle on it and keep it on. 
these silencing commands were used just three chapters earlier in Mark 1, verse 25, when Jesus cast out the evil spirit. What might some of these connections be to the storm? What connections comes to your mind? Right back over here. One of the things that I had heard in studying this um, story is that during this time, during this period of time in history, that, that people obviously were very superstitious and they believed that demons lived under the water. Mm-hmm. And so that their, their reason for being so scared of the storm was that these demons would come out of the storm and get them. Yeah. In fact, that's beautiful. I love it. Because, in fact, in a different story, a different storm, when Jesus walks on the water out to the boat, they think it's a spirit. We translate ghost. But the word that's used there are these evil spirits that would come and take the sailors and kill the sailors. It was... It was death walking on the water coming toward them. Isn't it interesting that Jesus speaks to the storm in the people's understanding of the storm? He uses the verbiage for the storm in a way that his disciples would think of the storm. I don't know whether in this moment the devil controlled the weather. Coming back to our yes and no questions. Whether the devil truly was in the weather trying to just cause mischief. At a time when Jesus needed rest, the devil saying, no rest for you, buckets of water on your head. I don't know. It's possible. But what I do know is Jesus used the same verbiage as he used to cast out a demon to cast out the storm. His disciples see this happen, and then Jesus turns to his disciples and rebukes them. Would someone read verse 40? Verse 40. Right there. Thank you so much. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? So does that mean when God delivers us from something, we're in for a scolding? Are you trying to cause trouble in here? Yeah. <laughs> You're in the right place, actually. (laughs) You're in the perfect place. Because those are the questions we ask. These are the questions that have to be asked. The question is this. When God has gotten you out of your storms, has he consistently given you a scolding? What is consistent in your life? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Jesus rebukes the wind, speaks to the waves, and then he turns to his disciples and he says two things. First thing, why were you so afraid? Let's deal with that one first. Why were you so afraid? Why do you think Jesus asked that question first? It it seems that he um, was chiding them because they recognized he could help them, that he could do something. They had witnessed miracles before. Maybe they thought he could get this boat to shore through this storm. Maybe their thinking was not far enough. They didn't recognize him as creator and Lord of heaven and earth and the wind and the waves. They didn't recognize him as having power over that demon world under the water. Hmm. And so their faith was too little. 
they didn't know him well enough. You're bringing up a huge question in my mind, which is probably in the minds of many other people here. Okay, Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Was Jesus saying, guys, I've invested in you. You can take care of the storm. Or was he just saying you should ride out the storm, get soaked, drenched, let the boat go underwater. It's okay, you're with me. Or was he literally saying, like he had told them in other places, why are you so amazed? You'll do things like this and even greater things than these will you do. When he sends them in Luke chapter 10 out into the neighborhoods to witness, they're not going out with pamphlets and a good story. They're going out with the power of God to heal and to do miracles. In this moment, was Jesus saying, why are you bothering me with what I empowered you to do? Is Jesus saying, you, with me, can calm the storm? You could have spoken into the storm and brought the foolishness out. Is that what Jesus is saying? That's bizarre. That wasn't in my primary felt board story. (laughs) Probably wasn't in yours either. Yes, sir. Is this between us and God or Lucifer and God? That is the question of the great controversy. Where are we? Are we here to prove that God is right Or are we here to prove that God can save? Who is it that truly finishes the work? The storms in our lives sometimes just happens, but some storms in our lives are also caused by us, Mm -hmm. by our own sin. Yes. So the way I look at it is that when we have storms in our life, and then we doubt God, mm-hmm. especially if it is our own doing. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part, I think, because we don't know whether God will be with us in spite of and despite of our sins. And then we start to doubt Him, mm-hmm. even though we've known Him for a while. Mm-hmm. But then that worry and fear is still there, and the enemy, Satan, loves to throw it at us, throw it at, us at that time. And the more that we doubt God, Absolutely. I absolutely love that. You asked two questions. I I would ask one more in there. Are there storms in our life that the devil brings our way? Yes, there are things that we bring our way. It's the consequences of our own stupid decisions. There are things that happen just because we're at the wrong place at the wrong time. But are there also storms in your life that the devil brings into your life so that you will lose your faith And you will say, God, don't you even care if I drown? What is God's expectation during those moments in our life? Are we expected to wait until God wakes up and enters into dialogue in our story? Or is it possible that God said, I've already invested in you. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. I have I have invested power in you that not only do you ride out the storm, there are times when you say, knock it off. Put a muzzle on it, devil. 
Because we're not going to put up with your nonsense. I know what you're doing. And you're not going to distract us from the rest we have in the Lord. Yeah, when this uh, passage reminds me of the Old Testament injunction that when the army was to go out to fight, they asked the question, whoever is fearful and afraid, go home. And uh, in the case of Gideon, where it was, was the only record of where that really happened, was that 22,000 out of 32,000 men left mm -hmm. and went home. But this is like Jesus saying to his disciples, you guys aren't ready. Yeah. And it's related to the issue of faith. Absolutely. Because when it came down to it, there were only 300 of Gideon's men out mm -hmm. of 32,000 that were really ready to go forward. Yeah. But, uh, and here, Jesus is presenting his disciples with that same type of scenario. I love it. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm going to do something that uh, I have gotten more complaints about this than any other thing in the Bible lab. Pastor Ice, right when we're getting to the best part, you conclude. Right. There's so many more things to say. So, I'm going to the last verse with this little word of condolence. First of all, you're welcome. You have the best lunch conversation coming that you've ever had, okay? So you're going you're gonna to have some great lunch discussion because there's still more to be said about what we've said. But because of constraints of time, we've got to go on to the last verse, which is verse 41. Would someone be willing to read for us verse 41? Thank you. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples start out afraid. What was their first fear? The storm. Now there's a different word that's used. Oh yeah, they're afraid. But this is a great fear. The literal translation, now they have a great fear. They were afraid before, but now there's a great fear. It's the same fear that you might have if you're like me. I'm a nervous person by nature, I'm sorry. But I'm a nervous person by nature, and when I meet celebrities, people that are renowned and, and people I look up to, when I go up and I shake their hand, I'm an idiot. Why? Because I'm so afraid I'm going to look like an idiot. And I, I look like a bigger, oh, uh, 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 I can't even get words out of my mouth. Because of this fear of knowing I'm in the presence of greatness. Now imagine the great fear that the disciples have in the boat as they're all scooting back. Because they realize they're not in the presence of great celebrity. They're in the presence of God himself. And they ask a question, who is this man who even the wind and the waves obey him? Let's jump back three chapters. Jesus cast a demon out of a man in church in Mark chapter 1. And those people uh, in uh, verse 27 say, Who is this man who gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him? The people in church begin to realize the authority of Jesus. And the people in the boat begin to know the authority of Jesus. This is God. Imagine being in that boat to see God himself speak into the storm, to rip the demons out of the storm, to calm the storm, sitting in the boat where you're hearing the droplets fall into the water in your boat. 
They're falling from the sail, and it's, other than that, it's absolutely quiet. Shivering in that boat, not because it's cold, but because you are in the presence of God himself. I want you to remember today that same Jesus who could not drown in that boat, that same Jesus who would not let his disciples drown at that day will surely not let you drown in this day. Wow, isn't it amazing? Every time we open up the Word of God, we can't help but see more and more things about God to love. I can't wait for you to connect with us next episode because one of my really good friends, Mike, you've heard him before with comments in the class, but he's going to be leading out and I can't wait for you to hear it because he asked one of the questions that kind of came up in this last episode, which is, why doesn't God always answer right away? Why is it that when I ask, sometimes it feels like he's going the other direction? I can't wait for you to see what the scripture truly says about this beautiful character of God. So I can't wait for you to come back for episode 10. I know you're going to be moved. So God bless you. And until then, I pray that you'll just keep searching his word for his beautiful character. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.